verse 18, as we look at this church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, verse 18, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write these things, says the Son of God, who has the eyes like the flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, and service, your patience, and for your works the last are more than the first. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but she didn't repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the, ch all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one according to your works. Now, to, to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put no other burden upon them, but hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. For it says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed into pieces like the potter's vessel as I also have received from my Father. And I will give to him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for our day, and we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you came today in Jerusalem to show yourself to not only to the religious leaders, Lord, as the Lamb of God, but to reveal that you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Israel, who came to fulfill all the law and the prophets, and now has come to give us grace and mercy in the time of need. And so, Lord, speak to us through this church, the church of Thyatira. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, again, as we have been going through this book of Revelation, remember the key verse. You should by now have it memorized. It has only been up every single week. Revelation 1, verse 19 Write the things that you have seen. Again, that was chapter 1. The things which are, that's where we are in the middle of church history. And the things which will take place after this, that's chapters 4 through 22. And as we looked at these seven letters, today we will see the church of Thyatira. Sorry, Micah's running back and forth back there. There is Thyatira. Uh, just east and south of Pergamos, to which we got into last week. We, we saw that Pergamos was uh, the jewel of Asia, and to, today we will see that Thyatira is not really a jewel at all. It's one of the smallest of the cities, uh, and yet it has the longest letter from Jesus. So there is where Thyatira is. As we're looking at these seven letters to the seven churches, we are applying them four ways. Remember, it's a real church in 95 AD. Uh, this is church history over the last 2,000 years. This represents churches today. Uh, not only the specific church that we will talk about, but there are churches uh, that have been paganized as well. 
and then applying this personally to us. What is, what is God saying to us personally if this is our heart? And then within those letters, there are the four C's. Remember, there is always a congratulation, a praise, just like he says in verse 19, I know your works, your love, your service, your patience. But there is also that criticism, that disapproval that God has. And then this counsel or a challenge that if they do this, the reward will be, uh, you will have this. As he says, I will give you the morning star. So uh, again, Come uh, condense that into these seven letters so that we have a greater understanding so it applies to our life. Amen? You ready to go? So each week it's getting shorter, isn't it? No, not the messages. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has the eyes like a flame of fire and like fine brass. The fourth message of Christ was addressed to the church of Thyatira, a small, thriving town located about 40 miles southeast of Pergamos. The city was established by Alexander the Great after the the destruction of the Persian Empire. It is located in a rich agricultural area, but it was also the garrison that the Romans had to protect Pergamos. So they said, if Thyatira was safe, then Pergamos was safe. So they pretty smart from Pergamos. They're like, we don't want the Roman soldiers here. I mean, you know, uh, to have that in and around the temples. Thyatira doesn't have any temples towards the Caesars. It doesn't have that worship that we've seen before. It is simply an agricultural area, and it was famous for their, their uh, well, famous purple dye. Uh, We know of Lydia that came from that area. Possibly Lydia is the one who brought the message from Paul the Apostle back to Thyatira. We have no mention other than Lydia about Thyatira, about the church being established there. So again, uh, using our logic and reason and uh, deducing that she heard the gospel, brought it back, and the church started to grow from there. The other major thing about Thyatira that you need to know is it had um, trade guilds, and we would call them unions today. They they had more unions than any other city. It's kind of like Detroit. You'll get that. Actually, Philadelphia, right? A lot of trade unions going on there. And the thing about the trade unions was that in order to work in those trade unions, each trade union had a pagan god that they worshipped. And inside of that pagan worship of those gods were all kinds of sexual immorality and then offerings unto those pagan gods. That's why Jesus makes mention of sexual immorality and things offered to idols. But you got to think about that. So... If you've got a city that is dominated by the unions, maybe you came from a city like that, which was dominated. And if you wanted a job in that particular field, being an electrician or a plumber, you basically had to be a part of the union, whether you wanted to give dues or not, amen? But you had to do that. And so too with Thyatira. And we've kind of mentioned this a little bit as we've gone through that 
it was hard to be a Christian in these cities. Like you, you wanted to be, you wanted to just work for yourself and not part of the trade union, not have your dues go to organizations and well, topics that you didn't agree with. And so you just want to work on yourself and your own your own business. But listen, you weren't allowed to do that in cities like Thyatira. So there was a pressure then to um, kind of compromise as we saw with the last church, but also just kind of give up at some point and go, well, I guess that's what I have to do if I want to make a living. And we'll see that that becomes the heart of the church in Thyatira. So that was 95 AD. That's the real church. Number two, in church history, when we're talking about church history, we're looking at it in the totality, and we saw from uh, the first church of Ephesus that it was the apostolic church, and that went from Jesus' time roughly to about 90 A.D., and then from 90 A.D. onward to about three, um, 306 B.C., we had the persecuted church, and last week we saw uh, the compromising church or the Mary church, the, the state church, that was the church of Pergamos, and that church was around 300 to about 606 B.C. Now this church, Thyatira, takes on the pagan church, as it is known, or it's the tolerating church. So you've got the church before that has been married together. So no longer are they a separated church like uh, the first two churches. Now they are involved with uh, the state government. They are involved with... Uh, temples that have been turned from pagan into Christian, and now all of these uh, pagan practices have now flooded into the church. By the way, I made mention of a book last week, The Two Babylons. It is back in stock in the bookstore for you. So if you're taking note, this church goes from 606 AD to the present age, or what we would consider the next big event on the prophetic calendar, that of the tribulation. This changes gear now because now these four churches that we're going to get into are the, the last of the churches in church history. The church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, uh, the church of Philadelphia, and the Laodicean church. These churches are the ones that are predominantly uh, the, the active churches in church history. So, it is also known, if, if you're a history buff, it's also known as the Dark Ages. And so this was a time in which um, secular people say that we lost culture. We lost, you know, create, creativity. And uh, sadly, guys, a lot of it is contributed to uh, the state church and what had come inside of the church inquisitions and all of these doctrines that flowed into it. Again, the church age of Thyatira produced what was known in history as the Dark Ages. It promoted and, and even planned paganism inside of the church. Christianity became more and more pagan and less and less about Christ. It became more about mysticism and doctrines, as we will see today, that are not biblical. In the light of Jesus and trusting his church to do what he had called them to do, the light that they were using started to flicker and to dim. Hence, it became known as the Dark Ages. 
Again, just one thing from the dark ages, uh, people were forbidden to read the word of God. How are, the, the Psalm t- says that your word is a lamp unto my feet. So if the Bible is no longer in the hands of the people, how in the world can they guide themselves in this dark world? Now you get an idea of what it is like to live through the Dark Ages. It wasn't until, I think it was 1967, that the Roman Catholic Church declared that the people could read the Bible again for themselves. That is from this time until 1967. Well, what do you expect is going to happen to a a group of people? And we're going to unpack this onion today. (laughs) There are a lot of layers that are going on. If you're taking note... Before we leave this, Thyatira means continual sacrifice. And that really defines what we will see as the dominant church, the Roman Catholic Church. And if you were to have a meaning underneath it, it would mean continual sacrifice. And so he says, these things say the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. As as these images of Christ come flooding through the church of Thyatira and this church age, it is that God is judging the doctrine, as we will see in a minute. And it is not based on God's word. It is simply based on on man's tradition and what man thinks. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't really care what man thinks. And um, especially when it comes to religion, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we walk away from God's truth and we put our focus, as we saw last week, on statues and saints and Mary and all these other things. And remember, we take our eyes off of who? Off of Jesus, who is the most important thing. And because the devil now joined the church of Pergamos, he now is moving forward with that with this ecclesiastical order that dominated everything. That's a big fancy word that means a group of people up here tell you what to do inside of the church rather than you having the Holy Spirit inside of you and God's word and being a Berean and searching the scriptures daily to see whether or not the doctrine that they're teaching is true. If the church had done that, there would probably been no, not only Pergamos, but Thyatira. Micah, that was shorter than last week's intro, so that's pretty good. He says in verse 19, here's the the praise to this church. He says, I know your works, I know your love, your service, faith, your patience, your hoopamone. As for your works, the last are more than the first. So our Lord's praise to this church comes in the form of these six things. Number one, notice deeds, indicating that many through Rome's long history have been faithfully serving Jesus Christ as a result of receiving him. Now, I want to make mention of this because for the most part, we're going to speak again, like last week at the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church, and this is continuing the Roman Catholic Church and its teaching. And I just want to make this statement because it's in this text that there are plenty of people inside the Roman Catholic Church that are saved. That's not what, this isn't the woman writes the beast message. That'll come later in the book of Revelation. We'll get to that. But there are plenty of people 
inside of the Roman Catholic Church that, listen, when you read 19, it describes them. It describes their works and their love and their service and their faith and their patience. You read that. You read somebody like Mother Teresa, and that is a description of her, is it not? Even some, and I don't want to really get into popes, even like a guy named John Paul II, who was pope during the 60s. Many, many of you remember him. And then later, not the 60s, the 70s and in the 80s and to the, to the newer popes. But John Paul, I mean, aside from his promoting of the Mary worship, which he was the most vocal of, he was very progressive, not in the progressive way that we think today, in a different way, but really, he was a youthful pope. Do you know that John Paul used to jog? Not in the big hat and the robe. He didn't do that. But he was different. He was one of the few popes that was under 60. And he was youthful, and he brought people to a place inside of Roman Catholicism. Now, listen. I say all of that as a description of this verse. And we would say, well, he did good things. There were bad things, but he also did good things. And it will be leveled against Martin Luther next week. So when we get to the Protestant Reformation, I will make mention of good things that Martin Luther did and then things that he chose to keep as the state church. He, he chose to keep infant baptism and things that really he shouldn't have kept, but he kept. So this isn't a message on bashing, again, Roman Catholics, because we'll get to Protestants next week. We are an equal opportunity offender here. Amen? We're going to get to the entitled church, the snowflake church. We're going to get to that group as well. So there is no group that Jesus will not offend. He'll, he'll do it in order to get you out of hell. So that you, because when we're looking at a church like this, and we're looking at Pergamos, and we're looking at the state church, the Lutheran church, we're looking at religion. And God hates religion. And he hates those who are running the religion into the ground that are causing people to believe in doctrine that will not help them enter the kingdom of God. And so there are deeds, there are love. Think about all of the love of the, the early church. Hospitals come to be because of the church, not because of Islam or Hinduism. Or Churches were started, schools were started, universities were started because of the love of wanting people to not only be healthy as in a hospital, but in a school to teach them the word of God. Harvard was started as a theological seminary. Now, you get someone like me, I can't even go onto that campus. I'll be canceled before I even get there. But that's how it was started. So we look at the Roman Catholic Church and we see love. Again, I don't want to keep bringing up the obvious people, but you've got Mother Teresa. What kind of love is that, that she goes into the slums in India? And I encourage you, her, her testimony is incredible. Again, not everything she did was perfect, nor John Paul or any of these other people. There's a lot of bad. Don't defend church history. 
but we can see the attributes inside. Amen. This is me praising the Roman Catholic Church. Are anyone else falling out of their chair? And we need to recognize that. And I don't think Protestants do that. And we should. Because as we will see, if there are remnants inside of it, they truly are our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not being ec- me being ecumenical. So don't you send me letters and say, Ron's gone all ecumenical and kumbaya. That's not what I'm saying. I'm going to read what Jesus said, is that there is a remnant inside of that. And they are to hold fast to biblical teaching, not to tradition. So there's love, there's faith. The faith that they have used over thousands of years, just service, which means ministry, reaching out to the poor. You know, I, I, I read these plagues that have gone through Europe over the, the centuries, and it was the, the, the priest and the Jesuit missionaries, they were the ones that were helping people. They were the ones who were reaching out. Not only that perseverance, and it means a long time of uh, a long period of time, and we could we could agree that the the church has been around in this way for a long time. And it says Jesus again condemns them of their works. He says the last are more than the first. So that's good, isn't it? We praise them like Jesus praised them. Now let's see what Jesus says about what they're doing wrong. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things that are sacrificed to idols. Notice, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but she didn't repent. By the way, that Greek means she didn't want to repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So the name Jezebel has a powerful association, does it? I mean, how many times do you hear somebody naming their little girl Jezebel? I mean, on the top of names of kids, Jezebel is not on the top. Ahab, come here little Ahab. Hitler's not on the top of that list. Judas is not on the top of that list. Damien, thanks again, Hollywood. Right? So there are names that you don't go, I got a great idea, honey. You know, that doesn't come out. Jezebel doesn't follow that. And so there is for us an association with that, and that goes back to the Old Testament. She was one of the most evil characters in the Old Testament next to her husband, Ahab. She attempted to combine the worship of Israel with the worship of the idol of Baal. Jezebel herself had the most evil record, again, next to her husband, than anyone else in the Bible. And Jesus chooses to use that as the title of the person. And there's probably not a real Jezebel. It is a type and a picture of the person who is bringing in and allowing the false doctrine. So just as Jezebel in the Old Testament had corrupted God's people with fornication and idolatry, so this woman or whoever it was taught the Christians 
that they could engage in these practices without sinning. At some point, it became no big deal. Perhaps she encouraged the believers to join the trade guilds or to compromise with the trade guilds who, again, were, were honoring these false gods. And in the midst of their honoring of the false gods were all kinds of sacrifices to idol and sexual immorality. She justified this compromise with the world on the grounds that it would allegedly advance the cause of the church. Now, did you hear that last point? Let, let me say that. She justified this compromise with the world on the grounds that it would allegedly advance the cause of the church. So as the Roman Catholic Church would go into areas, again, they would bring in the cultures and the paganism of that area, and in their mind, they're like, it's okay to do this because we're furthering the cause of the church. It's no different. Now, keep your place here. Would you please turn to Acts chapter 15? Acts chapter 15, verse 28. Now, just as a refresher, this is the Acts 15 council. Peter has come back to the church, to the, the disciples. Paul and Barnabas have given their um, kind of debriefing to everybody, and they're, they're telling everybody, listen, the word of God has gone to the pagans, to the Gentiles. This is unbelievable. The Holy Spirit is not only poured upon us Jews, but it's going out. And as Gentiles, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Because God is grafting us in. He is allowing us to come into that promise that he made with Abraham. So it's great. Well, they come together and they go, well, now what do we do? What do we do with these pagans? That's us, by the way. What do we do with these Gentiles who really... I mean, they're kind of dirty in that they don't have the ceremonial washings that we have. They don't have the cleanliness that we have. They, they are sacrificing to all kinds of idols. They eat these meats. They have these festivals. Sexual immorality is rampant among the Gentiles. What do we do with this crowd? And that is a legitimate question. What do we do with us? And so they say, they come together finally, and I love this in verse 28. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, that's speaking of the disciples, to lay upon you, that's these Gentiles, us, no greater burden than these necessary things. And here it is in verse 29. These are the only things that the church has established by God's word to the Gentile nation that you abstain from these things, offered to idols, from blood, things that were strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you do well. Isn't that great? So these are the things that the, the Gentiles were dealing with. So the word of God comes into an area. You've got us. All we know is to sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. We don't think twice about it. It's in our culture. It's everything. So now this word comes in, and now we go, but now what do we do? I got a job at the trade guild, and 
this, they say, I got to do this. What do we do? And so the early church came together and they discussed this. And by the Holy Spirit, they just said, okay, here's the deal. Don't sacrifice to idols anymore and don't be like the world when it comes to sexual immorality. Don't you love that? How, how many rules does the church have? Very few. So now let's turn back to Revelation. Andrew, could you drop that air down one degree? Thank you. People are falling on the ground. So let's come back to a highly pagan city filled with trade guilds, filled with sexual immorality, and filled with temples that have, um, well, cheap meat prices. And if you're a Christian and you're like, well, geez, you know, the meat over here, it's like 50 cents a pound, but if it's, it, it's sacrificed to an idol, but over here it's not sacrificed to an idol, it, you know, it's grass-fed, hormone-free, Gluten-free, tree-free, peanut-free. I mean, is, uh, the cow is pristine. But it's $65 a pound. That's a real question, isn't it? It's a, it, uh, there's some economics to that. That's real. And so what do we do with that? So now we're back to that, and Jesus says, nevertheless... I have a few things against you because you allowed that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Why did we read Acts 15? So that we would know what is biblically appropriate for us and for the church. So now what is going on? So even though the Acts 15 council and the early church set forth by the Holy Spirit directed these Gentile pagans that become believers to stay away from the things offered to idols and to stay away from sexual immorality, now in Thyatira, toleration, there's our word today, becomes the key word. And it's not toleration like you think. It is the toleration of worldly things. And that is what is being taught. They would say something like this. Forget what the Bible says. You have to do what you need to do to make a living. That's what they would say. And if your trade union asks you to do something unbiblical, well, you just do it. Because all of that religious stuff really should stay at home or at church, not in the rest of your life. Haven't you heard that? Your Christianity really should be private. Again, I don't mean to keep bringing up the things that I'm listening to and reading. But again, William Wilberforce, I'm going to drill this into everybody until you memorize it. In the 1800s, the churches didn't think like we think. They thought that your Christianity should be very private. It should be between you and you. <laughs> and only at church, you don't bring your Christianity into the workplace ever. That was in 1800 in England. That's what they thought. That's what they taught. 
it kind of comes back to here, isn't it? So those in Thyatira are like, listen, if your trade guild says this, just do it. Don't talk, don't bring your Bible to, to work. Don't be a nuisance. Again, a lot of Christians or religion teaches or talks like this today, that your beliefs need to stay silent. Isn't that what the world says? Isn't that what Facebook tells us? Keep your opinions to yourself. Because if you talk about it, you might offend somebody. <laughs> Listen, they, they, they continue and they say, we need to allow all forms of this inside of the church. In fact, we need to tolerate everything in the church. And so it becomes a place where we tolerate everything, but we believe in nothing. How do you get the universal church without that statement? We believe in every, or we, we tolerate everything and yet we believe in nothing. In my mind, it's not necessarily what she says, this false says, but the fact that she turns people again away from God's word towards compromise and tolerating things that God does not want us to be tolerated, tolerate, tolerating of. God, listen, God wants us to be set apart to him and set apart away from the world. Yeah, we live in the world, but we are not allowed to allow those things to affect us. So a lot of churches today tolerate and allow not only paganism, but worldliness within the ranks. Because there's no call to holiness or to purity. People can live their lives, their entire lives, inside of these religious organizations. Yes, Jesus wants all people to come, but he expects that you change and not stay the same. Certainly, not to stay comfortable in your sin inside of the church. One thing about Calvary Chapel, and there's a, there's a lot of things about our church, but one thing about Calvary Chapel is that because we teach the Bible, you will hear about your sin or moral failure. You will also hear about the forgiveness of Jesus. You will hear about what he can do for your life if you allow him and you surrender to him. And either you will heed that message or you will leave. You, I don't know how people can sit here week in and week out and hear that's the difference here. You can go to, and I'm not picking on any one church, but you can go to a church like a church in Thyatira, and because it allows everything and it believes nothing, they, you can sit there for decades and not hear anything. I love it when I hear somebody comes to our church for the first time, and they go, I've never heard that before in my entire life, and I've been going to church my entire life. Why is that? Guys, why do I keep hearing that? Why do you keep hearing that from people who walk through our door? What? How in the, how in the word is the word not being taught in the church? Because it's a church of Thyatira. It is a tolerating church. Now, if these are the churches today, these types of churches, let's get it to you personally. What are, you, what are you tolerating and allowing to come into your life? 
What are you allowing to come into your life that is against God's word and the standards for your life? Where have you allowed worldly thinking to take over the way that you do business? Or the way that you run your home? Or the way that you go to school? Did you see those three areas? Work, home, school, three of the areas. Where have you allowed worldly thinking to invade those areas in your life? Are are you going to college and you're just kind of like, well, you know, these professors, they're just spouting this out and, you know, maybe I believe in evolution. Kind of seem, and we can get into this where we can allow worldly thinking or I'm in business and, well, you know, I'll just take a little bit of cash under the table or I'll do this or, and we start to compromise inside of our work. We, we start to tolerate sin that we never, no show of hands. How many of you right now are tolerating sin that you would have never thought you would have tolerated? That's not an indictment against anyone. Anyway. That's just a searching question. We could say that of our own nation, could we not? That our own nation is tolerating sins that we never thought it would tolerate, and yet it does. And eventually, that works its way down to individuals, doesn't it? Like it starts in the church, eventually it gets to the people. And he says in verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but she did not repent. Or the idea is she would not or could not or just didn't care. Notice how Jesus wants them to return and wants them to repent. This false teacher was given ample time, ample opportunity, but refuses to hear the word of God. Guys, it would seem that the words of Jezebel or this false teacher is elevating and she elevates her teaching above God's word. Now hear that because I'm about to go down the trail. Did you hear that? That somehow her teaching goes above God's word. And Jesus makes mention of that when he's here. He says, you, and I'm going to paraphrase, you're believing the doctrines of men over the doctrine of God. So it would seem as this teaching is allowed, and it didn't start in Thyatira, it started in Pergamos. And as this teaching starts to flood in, nobody actually says, where's that in the Bible? Nobody challenges anybody and says, where'd you get that? No, they just tolerate it. They allow it to come in. And just like in the Old Testament, where Jezebel set up her own priesthood and her own way of doing religion, she set forth also to destroy the true prophets of God. How many times did she come after Elijah? That poor guy. And if he hadn't had supernatural running ability, which we know he did, then, I mean, obviously he wasn't going to be killed. God was protecting him. But she went after the true prophets of God. Anytime a system is set up that is against God's truth, we will see people trying to take hold of the truth and silence it or cancel them from the public arena. So when a group has truth, 
the people who don't have truth that are promoting the lie will do everything in their ability to get rid of the people promoting the truth. That's what you see through church history. They've got doctrine that is unbiblical. Well, what do you do when you challenge somebody that it is unbiblical or their way of thinking? This is what the Roman Catholic Church is known for. It is known for setting forth doctrine and traditions of men that have no scriptural basis. Again, this is not my time to beat up on the Roman Catholic Church. You need to hear this because I will tell you there are plenty of Roman Catholic Church uh, attendees that have never heard that what they believe in is not in the Bible. They've never heard that. And then they come into a church like this and they go, that guy's talking foolishness. He doesn't know what he's believing. I believe the guy with the big hat and the robe. Why would I believe in a guy with a Hawaiian shirt? You can't take a guy like that seriously, amen? Forget about it for our northern friends. It has introduced since the years of A.D. 300 teaching that is in direct conflict with the teaching of the Bible. Hear this. This isn't me beating up on the church. For thousands of years, and I'm going to mention some of them, the church has taught doctrines of men that are in direct conflict to God's word. How do you do that and sleep at night? Well, what you do is you put it out there and then you go after everybody who says that what you're doing is wrong, i.e. Martin Luther. And we'll get to him next week. And he's not the only one. Mm -hmm. So the teaching that was in direct conflict with the teaching of the Bible and of Jesus Christ all while claiming to be spiritual. So what they're doing is they're... they're, um, in direct conflict with God's word, God's word, but they're saying spiritual things. And they're saying, well, this person got a revelation or this pope got this or that. And we read last week that there is no private interpretation of man, which means you don't get your own private interpretation. No pope gets to hear from God in that way that God does not speak to the rest of us. That's not how it works. Guys, That is God's protection for his people. Our Constitution, not to go down this path, because I I did pretty good all day without talking about politics. But there is a reason why we have checks and balances. For a reason. I I heard it one way is that the the Congress, they, they make the bills and they pass those bills, and the job of the Senate is to sit on it for years. And that's the truth to slow down the process and think about the ramifications of what was just passed by 400 emotional people. That's the job of the Senate. I like that. God's word and God's protection for God's people is if it's not in the book that you are holding, it is not true. And you are to reject it. So, There is no way that you can tell me that the church, and I put quotes there, has not heard of Protestants and our view of challenging church doctrine. 
Are you telling me that they've never heard us contradict what they're teaching? But in their pride and their arrogance, they don't change. That's why Jesus says, I gave them time to repent, but they chose not to repent. Let me paraphrase. I brought people into their life and told them the doctrines they're teaching are unbiblical, but they're choosing to believe in them because we'll, we'll see at the end of the day, it's all about money. It's all about power. It's all about land. It's all about the control of states, politicians. And listen, they're not the only ones. Again, I'm not trying to beat upon the Roman Catholic Church. Plenty of Protestant mainline denominational churches teach unscriptural things. Plenty of them. They they teach the traditions of men that are in conflict with the Bible. And again, next week, we'll get into some of them from Martin Luther. So it doesn't matter what it is or who says this teaching be it a person, a cardinal, a pope, a pastor, if it is against God's word, then it has no weight in the church. And so just like the Old Testament, a prophet was to be judged on what they said pertaining God's word. In the Old Testament, you had to be 100% accurate or you were stoned. Those are good numbers. If we applied those to TV evangelists, we wouldn't have any. You know those guys who say, thus says the Lord, if you don't give a thousand million dollars right now, God's going to kill me dead? I say, let's watch it. (laughs) That's good watching right there. Where God guides, he provides. And God is not going broke. And people who claim otherwise or claim doctrines or claim teachings, listen, listen, I've got to keep you laughing because these topics, they're, they're painful because pe- real people have come out of these churches and there is a lot of pain that went on in religion. Real pain that people have got to get, they just got to give that to Jesus and say, Lord, thank you for bringing me to a, a Bible teaching church that I can know your truth without going into a little box that I can hold the word for myself, that I can underline my Bible, that I can share with other people. And so how many people do you know who invent their own religion, their own doctrine in their head, and they say that God is fine with what they are doing or that they're religious? They know the man upstairs, and we're good, they would tell us. And they too have had plenty of opportunities to hear the truth, like on Easter next week. They'll hear the truth next week. But how many of them say, I'm fine with God? Like Jezebel, they refuse to hear the truth and repent. And because of this, Jesus tells us the consequences in the next verse. But before I leave, because I am running out of time, and I have a goal of not going later than I have in the last four weeks. But briefly, as we gave you a list last week of some unbiblical things that have floated into the church during this time, there's a couple of them I want to make note of. In 709 uh, AD, kissing the Pope's foot. So we're bringing that back. So next week, I'll have my feet all washed. (laughs) 
In 850 AD, holy water began, the idea that this water is holy. Uh, Some of you who came out of this, you'll love to know when this one came in. 998, fasting on Fridays during Lent and eating a fish, or for you, fish sticks. How about in 1079 AD, celibacy of the priest? Now, if Peter was the first pope, Peter had a wife. How do we know that? He had a mother-in-law. They kind of go together. You don't get one without the other. So it's like, don't you even have put the dots together? In 1090... Uh, prayer beads came in. In 1184, the Inquisition. In 1190, the sale of indulgences, to which we will get to with Martin Luther as well. Uh, 1215, transubstantiation. In 1229, the Bible was forbidden to the lay people exclusively. In 1439, the doctrine of purgatory entered into it. And I want to stop with that one even though there's tons, like the sacraments and worship of Mary um, started to flood in. But the doctrine of purgatory, it's nowhere in the Bible. But there is a mention of it in the Apocrypha. That's why they had to put the Apocrypha in their Bible. Because it makes mention, it doesn't say purgatory, but it makes mention of it. Now, what's so bad about purgatory? Well, now we've got three choices. We've got heaven, hell, or purgatory. And I know what you're thinking. Wasn't 2020 purgatory? (laughs) Part of it. But what was the doctrine of purgatory? It was this, that if you went there, that you were working off your sins. What are you doing? Hitting rock with a mallet? How are you working off of your sins? But it goes deeper than that. Remember when I said, follow the money trail? Because at that time, they're selling indulgences. And now what it is, is that if you truly loved your family member, you will not only pray for them to get out of purgatory, but you'll pay to get them out. Now, a lot of you are like, I don't love them that much. Uh, They can just stay there. So in order to keep the money coming in, And by the way, St. Peter's Basilica was built on indulgences. What they would do is they would send the... And by the way, in the movie Martin Luther, they depict this, and it's beautiful. They would send these priests into these towns, and they would have a stage set up, and they would have actors, and they would have uh, burning and torment, and, and it would scare the people. And they would say, listen... Don't you want Uncle Harold out of purgatory? Give a coin for St. Peter's Basilica. And they would say something. I'm trying to remember the exact phrase. When the coin drops in, you know, like one year is gone or something from their turn. That's what went on. That's not me making it up. That's not me making fun of the Roman Catholic Church. That's real. But how does that hurt people? Well, rich people can do whatever they want. And a lot of people would uh, buy indulgences on Friday before they went out on the weekend. But the poor people, they couldn't do anything. And so they had a stranglehold on everybody. 
And so that, just that alone, the doctrine of purgatory and the doctrine of selling of indulgences. Nowhere in the Bible. So damaging, so hurtful to people. How about that God loves you and wants you to be with him for eternity if you just accept his free gift? It doesn't cost you a dime. Come here freely. Let God's grace pour over you, his mercy and his word, and wash you clean. You don't need anybody to say anything to you other than welcome into the kingdom of God. He gave them, verse 29, plenty of time to repent. Would we not agree that the Roman Catholic Church has had plenty of time? There have been plenty of debates, plenty of priests, plenty of Protestants. And I want to make this statement because, again, when it comes to like a topic of Mary, the Protestants take it not as serious as it should, and the the Catholics take it too serious than it should. Mary is, is venerated, not to the place of the Roman Catholic Church, but she is special. But she also was a sinner who needed a Savior. And so too with the church, guys. You got to read Thyatira and know that there are plenty of those people who we could have fellowship with. And we shouldn't say to them, they're a Roman Catholic. We had, in the early part of our church, um, been a part of the pro-life movement here in Myrtle Beach. And sadly, the Roman Catholic Church is the one that usually does the heavy lifting in that department, not the Protestants. Protestants rarely do the heavy lifting when it comes to the pro-life movement. And so I felt that that was something that I had a common bond with the Roman Catholic Church. And we actually hosted a pro-life vigil here with our Roman Catholic uh, brothers and sisters that came that we could come behind that in a good, appropriate, <laughs> healthy way of, of coming together. But I'm not going to uh, have a pro-life vigil if someone wants to talk about Mary the entire time or talk about purgatory the entire that, that's I don't have a common ground with you. He says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation. This is the first time now Jesus is mentioning something that is coming. There is something that is coming that you don't want to be a part of. Roman Catholic Church, there is something that is coming that you don't want to be a part of and you don't want to go through that great tribulation. It says, unless they repent of their deeds, which means God still gives them the opportunity Until that time, all the way up until that time, he gives them the opportunity. Not to believe in the doctrines of men, but to believe in the word of God, and the word of God only, in Christ alone, in faith alone, Martin Luther said. That was important. Not in the teachings of men, not in the teachings of the church, not in the seven sacraments, not that the blood and the wafer becomes the actual blood of of Christ and the body of Christ. That's not what we teach, and that's not in the Bible. Indeed, Jesus says, I'm giving you a warning. He says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds. 
and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now I say to you that the rest in Thyatira and as many who, have, who do not have this doctrine. So listen, there are those inside that don't have this doctrine. I don't know how that's possible, but there are those. And, and I, I've heard a couple of them lately, some evangelical priests that believe in the Holy Spirit, that believe that in order to live this life, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just like we do. He says, there are many who don't hold to this doctrine, who don't know the depths of Satan. As they say, I will put no other burdens upon you, but hold fast until I come. So he's telling those inside of the church to hold fast. And he who overcomes and keeps my word until the end, I will give him the power over all the nations. Even when there is the immoral and idolatrous influence of Jezebel, Christians can overcome and keep Jesus' works until the end. We must not become overly discouraged at immorality and idolatry all around us. The Christian must hold fast in the days in which we live. And he says, You shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give to them the morning star, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So this letter applies to everyone, as we've said, who have ears. It applies to those like Jezebel who lead others into sin. It applies to those who are following Jezebel and following others into sin. It applies to those who permit or allow Jezebel to work her wickedness. But it also applies to the faithfulness of those who are holding fast and who are inside of that, who are inside of that organization or that religion. And listen, this applies not only to the Roman Catholic Church, but it applies to, again, mainline denominational churches that are in the business of tolerating everything but believing nothing. They fall into this category. So what should we do? (laughs) Not be a part of the church of Thyatira. And we will see at a couple of uh, churches, we, w- we want to be a part of the church of Philadelphia. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that if we would just read it, that our eyes would be open, and that the doctrines and the traditions of man have no weight upon us. It is only God's word that we hold fast to. And so, Lord, thank you again for our time today to be refreshed by your word. We we thank you, Lord, that you even came to this planet to save a wretch like us. Lord, your grace is truly amazing. Lord, I pray that everyone would be ready, that you are giving them this warning call just like those sirens that go off during a tornado, there is a great tornado coming, and it is going to rip this world apart. Evil is going to flood in. And so, Lord, we pray that we would stand fast, we would hold fast, and we would not deny the name of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we're, we're ready We ask that you come soon, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.